The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to Brains, a podcast exploring the inner workings of our brains and how film and television portray them. Hosted by me, writer-director Heather Taylor. And by me, film and television editor Sarah Taylor. Before we begin, we want to acknowledge that the lands from which we recorded this podcast and from where you are listening are part of territories that have long served as a gathering place for diverse Indigenous peoples. And we are thankful, as guests on this land, to be able to live, work, and gather here together. We continue to learn about the history that came before us, and we encourage you to do the same. On today's episode, our guest, writer and actor Graham Kent, joins us to talk about his experience with Tourette syndrome, how it presents, and why he thinks Edward Norton's Motherless Brooklyn is the best portrayal of Tourette syndrome he's ever seen on screen. A quick reminder to our listeners that this interview should not be taken as medical advice, and it is for informational purposes only. Because everyone's brain is different, please consult your healthcare professional if you have any questions. And now, Graham Kent. Thank you so much, Graham, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This is going to be a lot of fun, I think. Agreed. We are nodding our heads, um, and that doesn't (laughs) translate well to audio. So I'm just going to say... Hello, everyone. First off, I think, Graham, we'd love to hear a little bit about yourself. Sure. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a writer, but I've always been um, in the sort of creative mindset, I guess. Oh, God, I remember when I was like in elementary school, I wanted to be um, an author, like a novelist. And then when I went to middle school, I wanted to be a comedian. And then high school, it was actor. And then I moved to Toronto to pursue that and did that for about 10 years or so, and then transitioned back more to screenwriting and such, but always in that field. Um, I do have Tourette syndrome, spoiler alert, if the (laughs) topic and everything so far wasn't enough. And yeah, I'm happy to talk about anything else that uh, you might be interested in. Well, I'm curious, uh, what is Tourette syndrome and like, how does it present for you? The for you thing, I think is, is something that is important to note. So so first and foremost, in terms of like a, a pretty standardized definition, Tourette syndrome is now I'll, I'll sort of preface this with a, a small little asterisk, maybe that when I was growing up and had everything explained to me, I understood it to be, you know, Tourette is a neurological or a neurochemical disorder um, characterized by involuntary movements, noises uh, referred to as tics. Since my own diagnosis, I have since heard it referred to now more as um, a neurodevelopmental disorder or a brain-based disorder or a condition of the nervous system. So if I'm a little out of date with neurological or neurochemical apologies. That's kind of what I grew up with. But if they're changing some of the definitions now, then uh, then fair enough. I'll note, since I'm a bit of a nerd, that it's it's named for uh, a French doctor by the name of uh, Georges-Gilles de la Tourette, but it was not actually discovered or identified by him. That was another person. I believe his name was Jean-Martin Charcot, I believe. And he named it for... Um, one of his uh, interns. And that was back in, I think, the late 1800s. So the the short and long of it is that for me now, I mostly have motor tics now. I might have the odd vocal tic. When you are young, generally kids get diagnosed between the ages of like five to 10-ish, maybe a little bit older, but it's generally when you're young. I should also say that, that Tourette is believed to be uh, an inherited genetic disorder. And that even though we still don't truly know what causes it or where it comes from, um, but we the, the best science out there right now seems to suggest that dopamine may be involved and that, that like a, a super sensitivity, if you will, with the dopamine receptors is perhaps an underlying mechanism of Tourette syndrome. That dopamine. That damn dopamine, that right? It's a powerful thing. Holy moly. <laughs> Does having excess dopamine trigger 
things then? Is that what you kind of mean by like what dopamine's doing? Again, I think this is just a theory and I don't want to position myself necessarily as an expert in the medical field. But when we talk about the ticks, they're involuntary, right? So uh, a tick, think of it kind of like a hiccup, right? Where even if you know that you're going to do it, and even if you might try to stop yourself from doing it, you might be able to, but generally speaking, your body's going to kind of do it anyway. And trying to hold in a tick is kind of like trying not to scratch an itch. So if you think about dopamine being the pleasure center of the brain, then I think it probably stands to reason a little bit that this idea of like ticking is ultimately about satisfying an urge. So you have an urge to do something in a certain way in order to satisfy this like, you can feel it ahead of time. You can feel like, oh, I need to do this. And so you do that thing, the tick, and oh, now you're satisfied. Now mm-hmm. that urge has been has been met. And you can find, and there are people uh, who I know have have found ways to sort of mask, I guess, or or hide their their tick in a different way. So I think the idea of dopamine, the meeting of this this urge, this need, kind of makes sense to me mm. when I think about that that theory behind them. Like, yeah, if there's too much dopamine going on, and these things are firing and the wires are something's going on. I think it's really fascinating when you say that some like more neurodevelopmental ADHD is also neurodevelopmental. We talked to someone last season about stuttering and uh, he's a neuroscientist and he's like, it's, I believe it's related to dopamine. I'm just like, what is like going on with dopamine? <laughs> what are you doing to us dopamine? But it's just interesting how we find that there's actually a lot more similarities between the differences in our brain and how they're interrelated in this capacity. Like a lot of them are like best friends, right? Like ADHD exactly. and ASD are best friends. We're all in the fun camp of neurodevelopmental disorders. It's great. <laughs> Absolutely. It's really interesting that you that you bring that up actually, because I think it's something like 90% of, of people who are diagnosed with Tourette syndrome will often be diagnosed with a sort of associated um, disorder as well. So like when I was diagnosed, I was diagnosed Tourette syndrome and ADHD and OCD. Oh, wow. Okay. So I was diagnosed with all three. Yeah. Um, and then later on, a few years after college, I was, uh, I, some people reached out to me. I had done a lot of work with the Tourette Syndrome Foundation of Canada. That's what it was called at the time. I think now it's just Tourette Canada, but I had done some work with them and, and won an award for something. And I think they, they found me and they reached out and asked if I wanted to, to take part in a, in a study. But it was a study for people who only had Tourette Syndrome. You could not be diagnosed with you know, ADHD or, or anything else as well. And so I reached out and I said, well, I was diagnosed with all three, but that was when I was eight. And they're like, all right, well, come in. And so they sort of like talked with me again and kind of re-diagnosed me. But this time now, and I'm I'm like maybe 20 or so, 20, 21, maybe 22. And they're like, oh, I actually don't think that you have ADHD or OCD at this point, which I was like, I didn't know that that was something you could grow out. <laughs> like, like yeah. you're, you'll always have, I'll always have Tourette syndrome. It's not something you grow out of. Yeah. Maybe there's a conversation about diagnoses and how that works, depending on how it's presenting in your life and what stress level you are in your life. Yeah. The symptoms are different. Sometimes there's misdiagnoses because, well, I guess this feels like the right buckets because of X, Y, Z. Sometimes because there can be overlap or you can present in one way because of masking and it starts to present as other things. So when people are diagnosed at, an, at a pretty early age with Tourette syndrome, there are parameters that need to be met. Generally speaking, I think you have to have a couple motor tics, at least a vocal tic it has to be uh, ongoing for at least a year. Um, it can't be caused by any sort of other condition. It can't be due to, you know, Huntington's or any, any other thing. And of course there have to be specialists. So I was diagnosed when I was eight years old. I definitely had a lot of um, vocal tics and motor tics. I did take medication for it uh, up until about, uh, no, I guess the end of high school. Yeah. So when I was 18, I think, 17, 18, I stopped taking medication for it. And I find, and I think a lot of people find, that as you get older, the tics tend to subside a little bit. It gets a little more relaxed. You get a little more comfortable in your own skin especially since ticks come out a lot more under stress. And that's not to say I don't still tick. I do. I definitely do. But I I think I probably have a milder condition of it now where my vocal ticks are a lot quieter. They're not really disruptive. I can generally 
you know, keep them pretty low key if I want to. And my motor ticks are the ones that uh, would, would probably be noticed a bit more. So, uh, and for me, that's uh, a lot to do with my shoulders and my face. So I will kind of like jerk or kind of pop my shoulder a little bit. I will, oh, my jaw. That's a good one. The dentists love that I do that. Trust me every time. Oh, well, I, you know, I sometimes, oh, you should not do that. Oh, should I not? Okay. Thank you. <laughs> I haven't I mean, tried. They, they don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's what a great idea. <laughs> don't do that. Um, and, uh, and rubbing my nose uh, sort of in kind of like, like this for, for you listening at home. What a great, what a great advertisement to actually <laughs> hop on the social media and check out the video that goes along with this, yes. <laughs> but I'll try to describe it. I'm kind of taking my thumb and forefinger on opposite temples and then like pulling them down along my cheekbones until my nose, uh, into my, to the end of my nose. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of what, how it presents in me. Um, but it's also important to note that it will present differently in just about everyone who has it. And, it's really interesting because even though you will have so many people around the world who all have different ticks, you also see the same ticks mm. in a lot of people. So it's it's also very interesting that whatever this condition is and how it manifests, you do see people with the same tick almost regardless of of where. Like like more common ones, sniffing, whistling, you know, or even more complex ticks. There, there can be simple ticks and complex ticks as well as sort of subcategories within vocal and motor. And so, simple ticks would be like, yeah, like sniffing, you know, whistling. Uh, complex ticks would be something like repeating a phrase heard over and over, called echolalia, uh, or you know, complex um, motor ticks um, could be something like imitating someone's actions or performing uh, inappropriate uh, or taboo gestures uh, or behaviors. Um, and of course, the vocal sort of equivalent to that would be the the very famous swearing disease, right? The coprolalia that, that gets associated with, with Tourette a lot. A lot of times we hear it referenced as Tourette's with an S. How should we call it? I know because things always change. Yeah, no, they do. And I think, I mean, I I, I believe that the technically correct way is Tourette syndrome, not the possessive Tourette's syndrome, um, just Tourette syndrome. But that being said, so many people refer to it uh, as Tourette's syndrome. And I really think it's just one of those things now, like if it's so ubiquitous and it's just so commonplace within the general nomenclature, like it doesn't bother me either way. If, if, if it offends some people, apologies, I guess, but it doesn't. It doesn't bother me. Right. I'd rather. I'd. I'd rather we be talking about like the truth of the condition yes. rather than. Well, there's no apostrophe. Yes. Like, <laughs> how <okay>. dare you? <laughs> yeah. How's um, it? Oh. End the conversation now. <laughs> We're not going to tell you my lived experience. Um, yeah. I'm curious. Okay, you were eight years old when you were diagnosed. How did understanding this diagnosis of Tourette syndrome change your life? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's, wow, that's a great question. I mean, I think it, it, and it's not meant to sound like a cop-out because it's not, you know, it's not a life-threatening condition, right? So it's not a terminal thing. I'm not going to die from it, even though I remember when I was very young and learning about it, one of my first questions, of course, is like, am I going to die? My parents laughed and, no, of course not. Um, But I had no idea. So the the biggest thing for me really was that I I finally had an answer. You know, I, I finally had... Uh, an explanation as to what was going on inside me, what I couldn't understand, why I kept doing these things that were, you know, bothering my parents, bothering my teachers, bothering my classmates. And so I think that was, that was really the biggest thing was just like, okay, now I've got, you know, a mountain to climb in terms of learning about this and becoming comfortable in my own skin with it. But at least now I know what mountain to climb. Yeah. Right. Um, so just having that, just having that answer of like, oh, this is what this is, just I think made a, a massive, massive difference um, to me. And I, I, you know, fortunately, I've always been a bit more outgoing, and I've always been a bit more happy 
to talk about it. And if people are interested, happy to, to educate or inform or whatever. I know that's not the case with everyone out there. I know that there are a number of people out there in the world who who are, you know, for, for lack of a better term, still closeted about it, or they don't want to admit or talk about, because there is still a lot of stigma out there, I think, unfortunately. I think it's getting a lot better these days, but there is a lot of stigma out there. And I think that some people just don't don't want to deal with that. So I, I think I'm also a bit more fortunate in the sense that I, I guess, never really had an issue with that. And I have found that through my own um, comfort um, with the condition and my own comfort talking about it, that has actually helped my condition become as you know manageable as it is now. And, and also so has performing coming from a live theater background and, and doing stand-up comedy and sketch comedy, acting in film and television, I've had to, over the years, learn how to shut my ticks off temporarily. And then, you know, if they call cut, I can tick between scenes or whatnot, or I can find ways to hide it. But yeah, I, I think that the more comfortable you get with it, the more you can control it and not the other way around. And yeah, that really all just started with finally knowing what this is, being able to put a name to it. Sometimes that can be really powerful. Absolutely. Even within Tourette's syndrome, I mean, forget everything about, you know, ticks or, or your overall condition getting more manageable as you get older, more comfortable stress. I mean, ticks themselves can change. Mm -hmm. You can, you can develop new, like anything can become a tick, really. You can develop new ticks. You will get rid of old ticks. They'll come and go, or they, they might still refer to it in the community as wax and wane. So even, even that over the years, I, there are ticks that I had when I was younger that I haven't done, you know, since I was that age, really. Um, so it's just such a, an ongoing, constantly evolving, weird, so fascinating thing, I think, really. <laughs> <That's so fascinating. laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about Motherless Brooklyn, because you, when we asked you what you thought was a good representation, you said Motherless Brooklyn. For you, why do you think this was the best representation that you've seen? There, there's a few factors to this. I think it's first important to note that there still are, I think, in general, overall, few representations of Tourette at all in, in film and TV. But that's not to take anything away from this. I don't mean to say that this is a good representation relatively. I think it's a great representation in and of itself, period. When I think back to you know, the two biggest other representations of Tourette that I can think of in media, at least pop culture, are probably Deuce Bigelow and Not Another Teen Movie. Oh. And mm -hmm. we're pretty popular. Mm -hmm. And that is where a lot of the, you know, the people that I met along my life who maybe didn't know as much about Tourette syndrome, that's where their knowledge of it mm -hmm. came from. So, you know, and I I used to have I mean, when I was doing stand-up, I used to have a little bit where it's like, you know, I I would say I have Tourette syndrome. And they're like, no, you don't. I've seen Deuce Bigelow. Tourette makes you swear. That's the swearing disease. I've seen Deuce Bigelow. That, do you swear? Well, fuck you. How about that? Um, <laughs> so, so it's just like they see, oh, I've seen a depiction of it in this thing. Therefore, I am a credible expert on it and I know about it. And if you don't meet my narrow definition of it, you therefore must not have it. Um, it doesn't match my understanding of it. So what I think Motherless Brooklyn did incredibly well was give an actual a, a, a realistic portrayal of it and the complexities of it, the nuances of it, um, how, how different and interesting and, and diverse and intricate it can be in itself within one person. You know, the, the other movies, it's, it's really just a one note caricature of it and it's played for cheap laughs. It's just, you know, bad writing played for cheap laughs. Yeah. Um, but this is really nuanced and full, full credit to I, I saw it at uh, at TIFF when it premiered at TIFF. Edward Norton did come out and and sort of introduce the film. There was no Q and A after, but he did talk about like he met with a whole lot of people within the Tourette community. I think specifically in America, um, but he spoke with a lot of people who have it. He spoke a lot of people who work in the community and work with people who have it. Um, and as someone who has it, when I watch his performance. I can tell that he's really done the work. And I mean, God, I think we would expect nothing less from someone like Edward Norton. Of course, yeah. yeah. That's, a, I think, a phenomenal actor regardless. So, you know, for him to to put in that work and go to that level of 
understanding, I think, really does the character a tremendous amount of justice. Because I also, I mean, look, it's, and it's not like, it's not like we can't laugh at Tourette's syndrome either. I think we absolutely can. I just think let's laugh for the right reasons. Like when he's trying to follow someone and remain inconspicuous and then he lets out a big vocal tick, that's funny. That's okay. That's part of the condition. That's what you're dealing with every day. Or when he's trying to light the woman's cigarette and he keeps blowing it out. Yeah. Like that's funny. And that's all right that it's funny, but he's, he's going into it. He's, he's doing the work and he's portraying it in a, in a realistic, respectful, and I think accurate way that hopefully gives people watching the film a better understanding of, oh, this can actually be a whole lot more than just, you know, quote unquote, a swearing disease. So I think, I think it was the the best portrayal of it that that I have seen. I really liked how he, he had expl- explanations to us in a voiceover, but also how he explained it to, you know, other characters. How he like kind of explained like what this is. And I think it's the interest, the two things that really caught my attention were, he's like, I could be talking to you and having this conversation and a part of my brain, you know, wants to know that my bills are completely lined up in the right order that they should be. And I will keep like, fixating on that. My brains keep telling me to look at it and then it will, then ticks will come out because I'm not like listening to it to do the thing that it wants me to do. And I thought that was like really interesting. And then, um, I think my, the one thing that he said, um, the character said was, it's like a piece of my brain broke off and it's joy riding me for, for kicks. Yep. If like that to me was felt like, Oh, I never really had heard it described in that capacity. And I just thought that was just to me really interesting. And to see that it was, it would also be ticks like, like you said, like blowing out the match or like he was touching something. He's like, I have to do it until I get it right. And so that to me was really interesting that I'd never really understood that before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. And, and, and again, like he said, un- until he gets it right, right. It's, it's about satisfying that urge. I have to, it has to feel right. And I think, and I think I said this earlier, but I think also his character says it, that trying to hold it in is like trying to not scratch an itch. And I, and I feel like he, li- he must have lifted that line from the community because that's, that's something that we've used to describe it for so long. Um, so I, I just mean that to say like I, like, I can tell he really did the work and he really got an understanding of it. I love that his ticks come out more when he's stressed out. And I love that he does them again not even necessarily like rapid fire, but like within a short period of time, you can tell that he's like, it's, he's trying to get that feeling right. Um, oh, but so when, when you emailed me uh, and we were talking about this to ask what I think the best depiction of it is. And I said, I'm out of this Brooklyn, but I also gave you a little homework quiz. I said, but there's something interesting about the film that I wonder if you can pick out. And I'm now I'm curious if you, if you got oh, it. No. Oh, mm. well, I don't know if this is it or not. Okay, but in the trailer, because like I watched the film a while ago, and then I rewatched the trailer just to like remind myself some stuff. He says something about that's how I found my superpower, and I don't know if that's something like I know in the community of many different people in different communities, like describing their way of living because you're living with this as like a superpower is kind of like. Uh. <laughs> Dun, dun, dun. Like not ideal, but I don't know if that's what you were. No, that's interesting. That's not what I was referring to. That is interesting. I think, I don't know. I think a lot of people try to, you know, find ways to find a silver lining with something that might mm-hmm. otherwise seem like a bad thing, right? Oh, yeah. you have Tourette's syndrome. That's a bad thing, but good thing could be your superpower. I think, you know, sometimes, yeah, that, that can come off maybe as a little condescending, even if if unintentional, it's like, oh, it's my superpower, is it? People giving me weird looks on public transit yeah. and kicking me off of here and getting thrown out of bars and blah, oh, okay, it's my super. Um, no, the the interesting thing that I noted is that they never name it. They never you you never hear anyone call it Tourette syndrome. But he said, I don't know what the name of it is. Like it's like he so then a part of me is like, well, was he never diagnosed? So does he not know what it is? So this is the conversation I, I wish I could had, and, and I um, I, I'm not trying to name drop anything here. I, I had the fortune of working with Cherry Jones on a show once, and we and we talked about this a bit. She has a, a small part um, in the film, uh, and and she wasn't really sure of it either. So so the film, first of all, it's based on a novel, and the novel came out in I think the late '90s. I want to say 1999, and I and I took a quick glance through the book, and in the book they do specifically name Tourette syndrome. I have Tourette syndrome. 
Oh, interesting. My my understanding is that when Edward Norton was interested in adapting this, because he wrote and directed it, um, that he felt that the characters kind of acted and spoke like they were more in a sort of like detective noir film. Totally, yeah. And that to set the film in modern day would maybe be a little campy, but if we set it in like the late 50s, now it has this more organic feel of like a, you know, dirty, gritty, uh, it's New York, not Los Angeles, but, you know, a film noir detective thing. And so now I'm thinking, okay, if they're if they're setting it back in 1957, which is when the film takes place, I mean, the condition existed back then and yeah. there was a name for it. But up until I think about the late 70s or somewhere in the 70s, even if you were diagnosed as it as having Tourette syndrome, the general thinking at the time was it's still really just like an underlying like psychosexual or something else oh, is okay. wrong in your life, and this is how it's manifesting. Mm-hmm. And the and the treatment for it really was psychoanalysis. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't think it was until later in this late sixties or something where they started prescribing medication. And I think Haldol. I know that's the I think probably the. Um, the brand name, but Haldol was one of the first ones. So I can I can understand and I can buy that if it's like late fifties, okay, mate, and especially with this character, right? If he lost his mother at an early age and was taken in by Frank, okay, he's not going out of his way to get a diagnosis for it. So fair enough. But there's no hiding that that's what it is. And I think even in like you know even in the tagline or the synopsis for the film, you'll say you know a detective with Tourette syndrome. Interesting. So, yeah. yeah, I noticed that. I thought it was a character choice. I honestly thought it was a character choice. Like this character came from an environment where they were like, there was the thing where they said the nuns tried to, tried to beat it out of him Mm -hmm. as if he was like possessed by Satan and he got saved by Frank, right? Saved him. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then was like, if you ever do this again, you'll get it back twofold. And he's like, and that's when he became part of their, their crew and had a place of belonging, but they also gave him, this is what I think is interesting. And I wanted to ask about, they gave him this, this kind of quality that he had a, a spectacular memory that he could remember everything. And then, then you, then you kind of qu- question, is this like connected to Tourette syndrome or is this just something that this person is like, has a, a essentially picture per- perfect memory? Yeah. And that's, and that's something where, like I think the depiction of Tourette syndrome is the best one that I've seen, but there is that element where I I do honestly kind of feel like okay, so now it's not the swearing disorder, now it's the you know walking transcript disorder. Um, <laughs> right. Not I mean not not really. I'm embellishing a yeah. little bit, but yeah. Uh, I mean I'll say this that that whole like sort of like you know uh, what do they call it? I eidetic eidetic memory. I might be mispronouncing that, but I will say that I've met a lot of people with Tourette syndrome and I've never met anyone, regardless of if they have Tourette syndrome or not, I've never met anyone that has a photogenic memory yeah. or like a totally perfect memory like that. And and that to me almost feels like it's starting to seep a little bit almost into the autism spectrum a bit. Yes. Um, but they don't mention that at all. And, and again- Families, you know, I, I, Tourette syndrome, ADHD, OCD, autism um, are all kind of in the same realm. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's part of what it is, but there's there's no association between that and the Tourette syndrome. Yeah, it's it's really fascinating because I'll say a great number of people with ADHD, they don't have that type of memory because we have a poor working memory. So it's like we have a filing cabinet of our memories and they're just put in whatever cap part of the cabinet you want, like at the time. So memories don't come back that way to, to me, for instance, it right. has to be a trigger and then it will find my memory. Um, but my memory is not linear. I can't be like, okay, one year ago today, this happened. <laughs> like my husband is like that. I, I just don't have that memory, but if I smell something or if I like yeah. read a sentence or hear someone say something, which is the unfortunate, my brain will immediately go to a memory, which means I completely zone out <laughs> because my brain's like, oh, that triggered something. And now I'm going to go find it and like sit in it for a bit. I mean, the olfactory senses are so strong mm-hmm. regard. Like that is, it's crazy how you can just smell something and be transported somewhere. Oh yeah. And then I see everything. Everything comes crystal clear, but until Sarah mentions something to me, I won't remember something at mm. all. 
But it's interesting to see that because I think depictions with autism, a lot of people came out and said, like, when Rain Man came out, all of a sudden, there's this, you know, kind of thing put on my child, like, well, what is your child's special power? And she's like, my child doesn't have one. My (laughs) child is not a savant in any area. But that's the representation we see again and again. It is very rare. It can happen. But but yes, there's special interests, but not necessarily that. So there's this, like, again, this interesting thing where when we see representation, when there is so little representation, we start to interconnect. And it's not just just in the way that, you know, only about 10 or so percent of the population with Tourette's syndrome at any given time would have coprolalia. So it's already highly in the minority anyways. But it's so shocking when presented that way that, oh, it looks great on screen or whatever. And it's, eh. Yeah. Yep. No, it's it's true. Like, how do you how do you externalize uh, something a what some feels like an internal disorder, and then it mm-hmm. becomes the thing that's associated with something that may not be necessarily true, or it may just be like this character also has this thing, but or just also has a really good memory. Yeah. But yeah. because it's so his so so much of the story is around his Tourette or his Tourette syndrome, then you feel like the two are, must be connected. But I think I think we get into an interesting area there and and not just in film but in in real life who is I I hate to use the word suffering. I don't really mean to to I wouldn't want to use that word but like who who is for lack of a better term suffering? Who is the one on the receiving end of whatever negative things of Tourette syndrome? Is it the person who has the condition and is going through all that? Or is it the person who has to deal with that person? You know, is it the friend who's with them or the parent who has to take them somewhere when they have one of these big ticks? And that's that was one of the reasons why I eventually went off my medication because I realized that I didn't really need it as much. And it also started to feel like, oh, these aren't really for me because mm. I'm having difficulty dealing with my ticks. These are for the people around me so that I can stop ticking less for their benefit. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. And so I so I feel like similarly, this idea of like, oh, coprolalia on screen, like it's, you know, the intention is that, oh, it's funny in a shocking sense, mm-hmm. but generally only because there's other people around them who are like, oh, now I have to be embarrassed because of what this person did. Right. So I think it's like, well, how else can we depict that? by showing any of the other ticks that exist in the spectrum of Tourette syndrome. And there are so, so, so many, because at the end of the day, what is the point? Are you just trying to have a funny little beat where someone's embarrassed by someone else's behavior? Or are you trying to get to the heart of this character and the inner turmoil that they're facing? Like I, my, my tick of sort of rubbing my nose like this, I was kicked out of a bar once for doing that. I was with my, my girlfriend at the time and we were in a group of people um, celebrating someone's birthday Someone else um, was had gone missing. We we didn't know where they were, and you know it's a big, dark, loud place. Tons of people, and we're worried about her after a while. So my my then girlfriend asks me, you know, can you go look for her? I say sure. I try to go back upstairs where we were. Now there's a guy like holding a line of people who want to get upstairs. Okay, no problem. I'm just but like again, stressful situation. I start ticking more. I'm doing this. But I've done nothing other than ask, can I go upstairs? He said, nope. I said, okay. I didn't try to shove the line or anything. Then a bouncer comes up to me and says that you have to leave. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? I, I didn't go upstairs. Like, no, no, we have a zero drug policy here. Oh, my goodness. Like, I, I'm not on any drugs. And I didn't even clue in at first like what he was talking about, right? It's so second nature to yeah. me now. So I didn't understand what do you what do you mean I'm not on drugs? Like, I think I'm probably the only one here not on drugs right now. <laughs> um, and – I, I don't know. And, and so I tried to talk to him, but he, you know, started threatening me very quickly. Like, well, if you don't leave, I'm going to throw you out. Like, okay. So I left my bags inside with my house key. Anyways, long story short, that all got settled later. But, but even things like that, mm-hmm. I didn't have to, you know, swear or, or shout obscenities or anything like that. Just something like that. So there's all this to say that for writers out there, like there's tons of material that you can tap into if you're interested. It doesn't have to be just, you know, flipping out, commenting about women's body parts or something. I want to know, because Kate, you're an actor. So have you ever been given the opportunity or have you disclosed that you have Tourette syndrome so that your character could have some of those tics just as something that your character has? Ah. Like, Or is that something that you 
would want to do one day because I feel like that would be like it's not about the show's not about you as the character having Tourette but you happen Tourette syndrome but you happen to have it because you as a human have it right that's interesting that's interesting um so I mean some of the you know the shows that I write and create and, and try to pitch now I don't always but until one of them gets picked up I'd like to write a character with Tourette syndrome because I'd like to get again more of that accurate representation out there. Um, and I think, I think like anything, I used to be of the mindset that there needed to be a reason that the character had Tourette syndrome. And then I got to a point where I'm like, well, why? Right. Mm -hmm. You know, if there's a character, anything, oh, this character has cancer. Why? Because people yeah. in life have cancer. Yeah. That's why. And this yeah. is meant to be a real person. So, <laughs> so it doesn't need to be a plot point, right? It doesn't, there doesn't need to be a whole storyline based around it. It can just be a character trait. Yeah. Um, so, so now I try to do that. When I've, when I've acted in the past, I've never, I have never tried to insert Tourette syndrome into the character simply because I have it. Um, in fact, I've done the opposite though, where I remember I was auditioning for, it was this, uh, oh God. So I grew up in Kitchener, Waterloo in Ontario and there was, you know, planned parenthood. They had this touring, uh, sex ed show called live on stage uncensored. Amazing. And this would have been around, yeah, this would have been around like, oh God, two, 2000 ish. Yeah. 2000, 2001. And, um, you know, we would go around to different, um, high schools, middle schools within the province and put on this show of like an hour or whatever, talking about sex ed and such. And I remember when I auditioned for it, I did disclose to the director that I have Tourette syndrome, but I said, it's, it's okay. And he was asking, well, can you, can you control it? Can you hold it in? Um, and especially for that one, because the way he was directing it, there in between scenes, any actor who was not in a scene would not actually be off stage in the wing. They would still be on stage, but just like kind of standing still in a tableau or behind a, a screen that they had just flipped to sort of create a new backdrop for something. And I, and I said to him, you know, if my character doesn't have Tourette syndrome, then I can't have Tourette syndrome. And I learned later, because then I, I got the part, and I learned later from another cast member that it was apparently me telling the director that that made him feel confident enough to hire me in the role. And then, mm. and, and indeed I would have to, you know, just hold it in for the hour. Um, and it was, you know, it's hard, it's stressful, but you, I learned how to do it. But I think that's more like, yeah, I'd love to play a character with Tourette syndrome. And, and in one of the shows that I had created and, and wrote and, you know, we shopped it around a bit, the main character has it. And I was hoping to to play that character. So yeah, if, you know, if there are characters out there who have Tourette syndrome and uh, people feel like I'd be a good fit, you know, sure. I'd love <laughs> yeah. to, but I also don't feel like I necessarily need to try to insert it. If, I mean, if it feels like it fits, then sure. Like I'm, I'm all for more representation. I also, I think as a writer, just also want to be mindful of other people's creations and saying like, well, what about this for no real reason other than I have it and I want, you know what I mean? I feel like there's a time and a place and I'd, I'd be happy to. I just, I, I'm always, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm Canadian. I don't want to <laughs> overstep anything and we're always so apologetic, right? I was talking to a director and a producer about this and I was like, we need better representation. It doesn't always have to be a main character. And then we actually talked about even um, being diabetic and having a port on the arm and that they said, oh. they actually were like, well, actually they always get it covered up, but why can't it just be there? Because lots of people have it. Yeah. I see that and Why can't we just, yeah. why can't we just have it on screen and not talk about it? It's just cause that's what someone has. And I think, yeah. you know, we, on another episode, we talk about um, new Amsterdam and they actually ha like deliberately say we have a character and it is a character. And then if there's someone that comes in that we think would be great for the part, but you know, one character is deaf, then that character becomes deaf. And now we create the character that's a little bit more about, you know, the actor themselves to incorporate that element or someone of, of, um, short stat or small stature was also like cast. And they're like, why not? Like, let's make sure the casting is open and it doesn't have to be the main part of the storyline because guess what? We all exist in the world and we continue to exist in the world. And so let's have more representation and it doesn't have to be the main part of the storyline. I, I respect that approach a lot. And I think maybe maybe the better way to clarify what, I, what I'm saying is I, I don't know if I would necessarily suggest it myself if it felt like overstepping, but, it, but I would not hide the fact that I have Tourette syndrome. And if they said, oh, why don't we write that in? Then great, I'm all for it. Yeah, that'd be awesome. 
we talked a lot about some of the stigmas, I think, around Tourette in, in just talking about motherless Brooklyn. What is one thing you think you'd like people to take away when they're thinking about Tourette syndrome? I think, I think, yeah. I mean, just the fact that like there's there's a whole lot more to it than than just what you see presented as this, you know, caricaturized version, this sort of cartoony version of it. Um, again, that's that's usually played for an easy laugh. Again, that's that's why I love Motherless Brooklyn so much. Is you you can see that there really is like a whole lot more nuanced conversation to be had and that it's a much more involved you know condition that that it carries a, a far broader uh collection of whether it's ticks or how it how it manifests in people how it presents and that's why i thought it was fine too that like because they did include a bit of the coprolalia with with norton's character in that film but they included a whole lot of other things as well and so that's that's what I loved about it too. It's like it's not just this thing. It's and especially again when it's when it only really affects like 10-ish percent. Like I think I think we're at a at an age now where we have to kind of be a little mindful of what sort of, you know, misinformation or disinformation we're we're putting out there where you know in the age of the internet and all this information that's readily available um, this this massive uh, increase uh, or or push this surge of um, diversity and inclusion and equity. I feel like there's really no excuse to kind of just get away with that now and be like, no, it's what I saw, you know, in another film exactly. once. So I just thought that's that was the thing, yeah. and that's how it perpetuates. And so, <sighs> yep. um, yeah, yeah, big, yeah. big. <laughs> this is why we do this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> no, it yeah, is. I mean, absolutely, yeah. because like, like again. I, I can read things, right? I mean, I don't know if some people do read things, apparently. I think they just like, oh, what's the what's the funny joke or what's the thing that I know from that other movie or whatever? I think people do do that a lot about a lot of things, right? Like how we even look at relationships come from the media we watch and some really bad takes on relationships really are perpetuated by the media we watch. But I think that you're right. You can read about it, but it's really having conversations with people in the community that really allow you to understand the breadth or the range of what something a disability really is. Like my ADHD, I as an ADHD seer, which now is like because now they call it ADHD C is one of the types, the three types. Someone else has ADHD, and we're totally different. And I've had people want to call me and ask me questions about things. And then they call me and they're like, oh, well, I have a really hard time with X. And I'm like, I sorry, I don't because my hyperactivity is like off the charts in my head and I have to keep it fed. And so I'm continually working. I'm continually doing stuff to like feed the beast. <laughs> you, your beast just wants to not do that. <laughs> so I'm like, I can't. We have different beasts. God we have different, <laughs> I can't give you a tip because we're different, um, but we still have technically the same disorder. So, it, and, but by doing that and understanding that, our things that we create can't be the representation for all people who like yeah. live or who have that disorder or that disability. It's, it can only be our understanding of it, especially if it's something that we live with. And so I think, or, you know, sometimes a collation of things, but still you again, because, but because there's such little um, representation, it becomes like, Oh, like we said, mother's Brooklyn, all these great things, but also do you have perfect memory? Like, because you're like, <laughs> I, I, too? I, oh, you must have all the things Edward Norton I'm portrayed. Like, I don't know. I guess it's all the things. <laughs> Come with me to this casino. Let's go count <laughs> cards. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. We're going to be like, it's going to be a whole nother, uh, another Rain Man situation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't think so. I hope not. I, and I don't yeah. think that's what they were no, going for. No, no. But no, I hear you. It's, you know, I think there is, I don't want to say unspoken. I think it's being spoken more now, but I think there is like an increasing awareness of, when you're a writer and you're creating these things, you know, you, you have a real power. You have this tremendous capability to communicate a message and, and get that into the, the minds and, and living rooms of millions of people around the world. And I think we are starting to, to get into a sense now, not that we've always been careless, but I think we're starting to be more aware of like, well, just what kind of message are we necessarily spreading? And I don't even mean like on the Script Notes podcast, I don't know if you guys listened to it with John August and Craig Mazin, 
a little while ago, even I think someone read in and they were talking about, you know, is it responsible for writers now to continue writing like government conspiracy thriller type things in an age where like so many people don't trust getting vaccinated yeah. against COVID, yeah. for example, because they're worried about the government involved. And so fair point. And so, yeah, we're in an age where we're like, okay, it's not discuss these things, but it's, it's how we discuss them. And I'm, I'm all for discussing them. I'm all for conversations about them. Let's, let's, you know, we don't have to bombard it. It doesn't have to be all about it, but it can be a little about it. And, and Heather, I think you, you really said it that, you know, it's also important for people watching, I guess, to know that when we are depicting one of these conditions as, you know, maybe writers who are living with it, if I'm, if, if I get a show out with you know, characterized Tourette syndrome, you get a show out with ADHD, we're not now trying to say, this is what this condition is for everyone mm -hmm. everywhere. Mm -hmm. Yes. So yeah, it's just, this is, but it's a more realistic portrayal. I mean, even, even something like cancer, we've seen cancer depicted in, in film and TV so, so, so many times, but I don't think anyone out there would see a depiction of cancer and think, oh, automatically like chemo and bald head, right? Like that exists, but is that every yeah. form of cancer that's out there? Is that how it manifests in everyone who has it? No, it isn't. So it's it's similar to to other more neurodevelopmental conditions such as these as well. The more stories that we can tell that are nuanced and more authentic, the more people will like not uh, you know automatically associate it as you know for Tourette syndrome as the swearing disease, right? Just having more nuanced stories, different stories. <laughs> Not the same thing that we've been seeing over and over again. Yes. What I always hate is like, but we have the one Tourette story or we have the no, one like- we, There right. was that motherless like, Brooklyn. We don't need to do it again. We already checked that <laughs> off. Yeah. Once someone was like, oh, we have a mother-daughter story. I was like, what? There's like, a lot of mother-daughters like, out there. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's like- <laughs> There's only one mother and daughter that's ever, ever needs to be on TV in the world. And, <laughs> and their story was the only mother-daughter story that there can be. Like, I will say this is like not related to Tourette, but related to ASD. There's a character played by Rick Glassman, who is on As We See It, and he's on the new show, Not Dead Yet. And he plays the roommate of the main character. And she makes a call. She's like, what, you have Asperger's or something? And he's like, yes, I do. And then at the end of the episode, he's like, I want you to know that it's not called Asperger's anymore. It's just autism. I'm autistic. Right. And I was like, what a great, right. like, learn. I was like, oh, that's weird. Like, that's not what it's called anymore. And it was a great learning opportunity. Yeah. And then he, he basically, he's like, some people may think me, I'm really difficult to live with. The reason why I need these things in these orders is because it makes my life cha chaos if I don't have these things in a specific way. But you just have to tell me what you like. You just have to be straight with each other. It's a communication thing. And it was just like every episode, you're learning a little bit more about something without it being, it's not a show about that. It's just this character is being very open about what helps them create the best environment. And we just don't get to see that very often. And it was just, to me, a lovely way to have representation. And this person's like, went to, a top university. He has a girlfriend. He has a really important job where he is an environmental lawyer. And you're seeing this thing where, you know, I've, even now people who I think are really progressive are like, oh, but they can't do important things. They couldn't be a writer in a writer's room. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and I think having these representations that aren't just for jokes or to show the inability of people, yeah. but to show that people of any capacity can have very specific disabilities and live like how we expect everyone lives. You know what I mean? Like I think because, because it's the stigma of like, if you have a disability, you're incapable, which is completely fucked up and incorrect. Yes. <laughs> There's my swear of the day. 100%. There's your swear of the day. Do you, uh, gee, Heather, do you have Tourette syndrome? That was, uh, where'd that I come know. from? I know. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. <laughs> What has helped you with Tourette syndrome, like resources wise, and a place where people could go if they're curious to learn more or have someone in their life or they have it? What what would you recommend? I think the the, the biggest thing and, and something helped me. So I think pretty much every most countries out there, a tremendous amount of countries will have some probably, you know, national um, Tourette syndrome uh, foundation awareness information, something Canada certainly has one. U.S., uh, Australia, France, Aust um, Austria, tons all over. So that's a great place. Um, there are often um, maybe even more regional or local 
uh, chapters or support groups that you can get involved in. That was something uh, that really helped me when I was in my more you know younger formative years as well, growing up with it. And if you can, meeting other people who have it. It's if especially if you're more recently diagnosed. I mean, I remember when I was you know kind of uh, late late teens, um, and I was going to, you know, there were conferences, annual Tourette syndrome conferences. Um, and just seeing like the, the number of people who were coming there on, on both sides. So younger kids who had just been diagnosed and their parents are like, we just found out about what this is and what it means. And now we're here and we're just like, so eager to learn about how we can adapt and all of this stuff. And for those kids and even myself to see older people who are examples of you can have fantastic lives one of one of my best most respected uh like sort of mentors and and uh just like a, a great example um an inspiring person was this guy named dr duncan mckinley and he's he's a doctor and this is a guy who's who's making his career studying the brain and i'm like that guy holy shit like you can reach incredibly high levels of whatever it is you want to do. Like, like you say, it doesn't make you any less capable. And I think it's tough because it, it, it is still a very personal thing and it can still be a very personal thing. So I'm not suggesting people out anybody who isn't ready to announce it themselves. But I do really think at the same time that if you can get comfortable enough to do so, I really do think there's a tremendous amount of power in being that example out in society that helps to change people's minds of what these kinds of things actually are and can be. Because I think a lot of times, I mean, honestly, I, th I think back to the people who had, had um, spoken with me and just thought, oh, that's the swearing disease. And it's like, well, actually, and after a simple conversations, like, oh, I had no idea. That's so interesting. And there's one person's mind who's, who's been, uh, I don't want to say I'm changing lives, but like, you know, you're educating people and you're, and you're helping it snowball slowly out in the world. So meeting other people who have it, support groups on national levels. Um, I mean, there's tons of just general information out there as well about what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, even the CDC has information about it. I'm sure it's in the, uh, was it the DSM, the DRM? The DSM. The DSM. The yeah, big blue. I'm going to guess it's blue. I don't know. seems like a safe <laughs> medical color. If people want to find out more about you, <laughs> where can they find you? If if people want to find out more about me, I wonder how bored they must know. Um, <laughs> no, I I don't. I will admit I don't maintain the most uh, sensational or incredible social media. But if people are interested, and and I'll say as well, if there is anyone out there listening who does have Tourette syndrome and wants to you know, maybe they're not as comfortable or they just want someone to talk to you about it, message me about it. I'll happily talk to you about it. Uh, or your kid or your friend or your parent or whatever. Um, but you can find me on uh, Facebook and Instagram at True Graham Kent, G-R-A-H-A-M-K-E-N-T. Well, thank you so much for taking the time with us today and like being so open and having this great conversation. Yeah, it's been amazing. This was so much fun and I wouldn't mind just like being a fly on the wall in all the rest that you do or if you want to add a third co-host <laughs> I don't want to no so this was this was really really uh, just fantastic conversation Aww. I loved it thank you so much thank you I loved having Graham on Graham and I were part of the respectability lab, which is a theme <laughs> I feel like this season. I got to meet a lot of disabled people who were entertainment professionals. Mm -hmm. And it's been fantastic to be able to hear everyone's different story and different experience and to look at how much um, overlap we have with each other. That was like the best part of this episode. It's like, oh, wait, huh? Oh, dopamine again. Oh, great. Yeah. Our old yeah. friend, dopamine. I feel like we should just call <laughs> this podcast dopamine. That, yeah. Fucks you up. <laughs> <laughs> you fuck me up, dopamine. Uh, but yeah, no, Gr Graham was great. Graham was fantastic. He's very funny and a lovely individual. Mm -hmm. And so I uh, wanted to say, I want to do a shout out to Sarah. Oh. Because the time that this comes out, we'll already have passed this moment in time, but... Um, Sarah is coming to Toronto this week and is coming for the premiere of the Lebanese Burger Mafia, 
which is a documentary feature film about the Burger Baron restaurant chain in Edmonton, Alberta, and beyond because it's outside of Edmonton. Yeah, in Alberta. Yeah. Alberta. And it's uh, about the Lebanese community and um, immigration and the whole story about like how to create community and business and su sustainability. And it's a fantastic story. And I'm excited to be going to the premiere with Sarah, as well as our other two siblings. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just very proud. And I'm excited that there was, I think, a recently this link came out in the Canadian Screen Academy. They put out this list of documentaries you should watch. And three of them were edited by Sarah. And so you know how she is now storming the documentary space in Canada <laughs> if she is literally dominating um, the documentaries that you must see. So we can't do this as a shout out to come and see uh, the festival because it will be passed. But um, there are things that Sarah has made that we've already talked about. Push, which is on CBC Gem, if you can um, have access to that. If you're in Edmonton on May 14th, Northwest Fest is also doing our Alberta premiere of the Lebanese Burger Mafia. So um, if you're here in Edmonton and you want to come join us, please get your tickets very soon because mm -hmm. uh, I'm pretty sure it's going to sell out since it's a hometown screening. And most of the crew and the cast are going to be there. So... It'll be really fun. And I'm hoping that Omar, the director, is going to try to... I, 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 my my dream is that he gets mushroom burgers from like all of the Edmonton Burger Barons and they like have little stations and you can get a mushroom burger. This is not happening. Nobody said this to me, but I hope that that's what happens. It's your dream. <laughs> I was going to say, like after the screening, everyone go to Burger Baron and yeah. eat a burger. The only thing is like the Barons will be there because they, they were it's their day to celebrate too. So oh, I was like, so there may not want, be any burger barons. Yeah, we don't want to. Well, I'm sure their workers will be working, but you know, yeah. Anyway, I'm excited. My husband is a very big fan of Aerosmith because I feel like he's an old man inside a young man's body. But they are a Boston band. My husband is from Boston, and so they just put an announcement that they are doing their last ever tour. Ooh, which is probably good because they're probably. I very worry for old. them. <laughs> I get Deadline, which is a industry magazine. All of their articles come into my inbox and I saw Aerosmith's final tour and I immediately sent it to him at the same time he sent me a screen grab of it. It was like multiple times. <laughs> and then um, he's like, yeah, I really want to see in Boston, but it's New Year's Eve. And yeah, that's weird. And I was like, no, I, that sounds like the best actually to say goodbye to a band that you listened to as a child, basically, because that's when they came out, you were a child, um, and before you were born. And I think that would be a really fun way to spend a day that I don't really, really have ever cared much for, because Sarah and I would always go out for a birthday on the 30th, and so the 31st was never as much fun. Usually, when we drank, it was like, we'd party on my birthday and then have to recover on New Year's Eve, so... Yes. Yeah, that's how it went. But, but I just want to add, I don't know if you have, if Heather remembers this, but I do recall you having some Aerosmith CDs in your room when you were a young person. What? I don't know what you're talking about. Yes. And so I, did. <laughs> I have, I think that this little, um, oh, my husband really likes mm. Aerosmith. It's also Heather. Heather's very excited. I did go to the WGC awards. I did not win my category, but I got to be in the top five and I got to talk to the the two women who created Astrid and Lily Save the World, I told them how much their show meant to me. We cried before the ceremony, which just awkwardly messed our makeup, but it was fine. Um, but I felt like I really got to connect with... It's not You don't get to connect with the creators of shows very often in your life, mm -hmm. even when you work in this business. And to be able to talk to someone to say like how much something meant to you, I think meant a lot to the creators as well, because oh, sure. they don't always get to hear that from people. So I kind of felt like I... We all, this sounds really cheesy. We all want in a way like to be, as my dad said, you're the top five and to be selected to be nominated <laughs> oh, <dad. laughs> for, I know, for that award was amazing. And to just be amongst um, so many creators in one room and to have so to create so many connections with people. Mm -hmm. um, I was really, really amazed by that um, experience. To wrap things up, I just want to say thank you for those of you who have been um, rating and reviewing our show. Mm -hmm. Like if you really love it and you love what we do or even moderately like it, if you could <laughs> like, uh, post a review, rate us, it, those reviews really matter. It matters to us too, just as like those creators got to hear what people think. We love to know what those listening think. So please do rate and review us and let us know what we're doing that, that maybe makes your day better. So 
I just want to thank you all for listening to today's episode of Brains. Brains is hosted and produced by Heather and Sarah Taylor and mixed and mastered by Tony Bao. Our theme song is by our little brother, Depish, and our graphics were created by Perpetual Notion. And like Heather said earlier, please rate and review us and tell your friends to tune in. You can reach us on Instagram or Twitter at Brains Podcast, spelled B-R-A-A-I-N-S podcast. You can also go to our website at brainspodcast.com, where you can connect with us, subscribe, and find out a little bit more about who we are and what we do. Until next time, I'm your host, Sarah. And I'm your host, Heather. Bye! Bye.